record. I hit record. Okay. We're recorded. My phone wasn't turning on, so I was starting like starting to worry about it. But it's good now. We're okay. good. We're all good. All right. So yes, welcome back to our <laughs> Disney Mania tournament. It's the Media Boat Podcast special March Madness trademark. Uh, Disney Mania Tournament, I guess that's what we're calling it. Uh, the officially long name of it? Everybody has brackets. We have a bracket, too. It's animated Disney films. If you missed our part one... You can catch that on our podcast right now. You can catch that. And this is part two, where we will be dealing with 90s kids' favorites. Well, yes and no. Yes and no. Uh, we, I, I wanted to explain that this category is actually wider, or, uh, or wider than that. Uh, it goes up until the early 2000s as well. So right. this includes releases up to 2002. Yes, but if you're born in 2000, do you really pay attention to anything in 2002? No. Okay, not. there you go. But yes, so so 94 to 2002 is where we're looking at uh, here. So that, of course, starts, uh, yeah, starts right. kind of in the middle of the Renaissance period and then ends in the, the end of it, you yes. could say. Right before it goes into the CG. Yes, before Disney lost all their money. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> and started spending all the other stuff. <laughs> Anyways. Anyways. So uh, if you uh, missed the first one, you need to know exactly what the, 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 the rules and regulations, rules regulations here are. Yes. Go ahead. So rule number I, one, you cannot concede or throw the match, Matt. I haven't. Okay. I've done that. I'm just saying. <laughs> Mark, to explain to Mark what that means is, yes, if I am arguing, for example, for a movie I don't like, and he's arguing for a movie that I do like, I still have to defend the movie I don't like, even if I want his movie to win. So I can't just throw the match by being like, well, you're right, blah, 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 should win, and not defend myself. You have to at least try. I have to no try to defend the movie. No matter how bad the movie may seem to you, yes. you have to at least try. <laughs> you have to try. Okay. Uh, rule number two, when it's determined by our judge, and our guest judge today is Matt, uh, Mark. Uh, Matt. Not me. Not Matt, Mark. <laughs> Hello. Hi, he says. Uh, you need to speak up louder. Hello. There. There you go. Right. Now we got you. No, got some yes, we, we got our friend Mark here to determine us uh, unbiased. Yes. As I glare at him unbiasedly. I, I'm pretty sure he's. I he have has no, no bias here. On Disney movies. Yeah. In fact, I don't even sing along with these fools <laughs> in the car. Well, see, he doesn't have fun, so he's the perfect set. The pit for this. Yes. Uh, and of course, rule number three: uh, positions will be determined by high card, which, which we did. We, we just did. And yes. congratulations to me! I actually beat you in high card for, for once. For once. For well, once. twice I did. Twice. Which so, means uh, which means I will go first, I guess, this time in the arguments. Uh, in, a, we, in a couple of them. Yeah. Yeah. We'll split. Yeah. So, so that that's so that'll be a little different than round one. Yes. Okay, uh, so... So, uh, time limits. With that established, yes, there will be time limits, Mark. Um, so this is also going to be your responsibility. Do you have a timer on your phone? Because you're going to need it. Okay. <laughs> right, we will get two minutes for our opening statements. So that's our main core argument. So, for example, one of us will go talk about our movie. And then, two then when two minutes is up, you'll say time, we will end. Then it's the next person's turn to defend their movie for two minutes. You'll start that timer when they start talking, and you will end it when you and when it ends, you will say time. Then we have a rebuttal. Then it's the, two minutes to argue against against what they what the argument they just made. Yes, it it doesn't necessarily have to be about your movie. It could just be negative things about theirs. Right. Um, and then after that's done, 
then it's final statements. Then two we two have minutes closing statements. Two minutes where each of us wow, get to say something else. Six minutes each yes. per movie. Yeah. Yes, 12 minutes, at, which is 12 minutes total. And then we, if we want, there's, there's a, a one minute. You can't make a final statement. You can't make a one minute final statement. And how many That's uh, not brackets are there? There's, uh, this is currently round two, or this is round one. Uh, bracket two. Yeah. So there'll be four arguments. Four, uh, eight movies fighting, so, so four rounds. Four okay. tournaments, yeah. four rounds. So it's not going to take that long. Hour. Yes. Hour. It's take an hour. Tops. Okay, so with let's get right said, into it then. Let's get right into it at the five minute mark here with our first uh, bout. We have Hunchback of Notre Dame, defended by me, versus Leo Stitch, defended by Matt. Okay. And Matt, you won this one. You chose Lilo and Stitch. All right. So I go first in Hunchback of Notre Dame. Uh, timer begins when I start talking. Okay. All right. So, Hunchback of Notre Dame is an interesting story as it takes place in France of all places, um, <laughs> and <laughs> and it's set as a very heavy religious themes. Uh, set through in not only establishing a sanctuary but also a cathedral and a judge and judge Frollo so you have very different um, themes go them thematic themes going oh yeah by the way this is a story only oh yeah we didn't mention that yeah anyways anyways um, yeah uh, so you have this uh, very th uh, heavy theme of religious value and religious even religious persecution going on in Hunchback of Notre Dame which is not necessarily um, a traditional Disney approach. However, they're able to make it into a Disney approach by introducing uh, the gypsy form of Esmeralda and the uh, disfigurement of Quasimodo in showing a rather moral story that it's not how you look on the outside, but how you are on the inside. A don't treat a book by its cover type approach. Because... Even though someone may be in power, they may also be corrupt, as is the course with Judge Frollo. But you also have someone in Captain Phoebus, who is also in power in military stance, who does have a heart of gold, even though he may be doing things for the wrong reasons, because he's being ordered to. Uh, in one scene where he has to basically persecute a family for hiding gypsies, as being ordered by Judge Frollo. He, in sense, turns being a heart of gold that he has, uh, denies that request, and actually fights against Judge Frollo in uh, setting up what is essentially the, the main villain of the story. Um, Hunchback noted on... Fine. Okay. You see how it goes now, right? Yes. All right. Okay. So, so Lilo is, oh, before we continue, it, uh, so I'm not making my argument yet, but yes, to elaborate... This round one is just the story or the narrative of the films. So we're not talking yes. about music. We're not talking about animation. This round is to get story addressed. The story so and the moral. Our arguments are going to be for, yeah, the story, how the story is told, the characters, etc., the setting, all that is free game, and including the moral or, like, the message of the story if necessary. So yes. that's, that's what we're arguing. Okay. Got it. Now I'll start. Okay, so Lilo and Stitch is an interesting... It was interesting for its time. In 2002, there had been, like, a string of the 
the fairy tales, the more traditional kind of Disney work. And Lilo and Stitch kind of changed that direction. It was a modern story set in modern day in Hawaii. It uses Hawaiian culture as kind of its background. It uses a lot of, uh, of Anfort setting. And it's kind of two stories, which makes it kind of interesting hybrid. It's both the science fiction story with Stitch, um, seeing his origins and his uh, coming to Earth. And then you also have a family story with um, young Lilo and, his, and her older sister and how they live together in their dynamic. And then, of course, they combine bringing kind of Stitch's origin and their family dynamic into two and combining them for the climax of the movie. And I think it does both really well. It does family dynamics in a way that hasn't seen in a Disney film prior. It's a realistic movie to that extent, of course, without the science fiction stuff. But you know what I mean. It's told with kind of like, there's there's some darkness kind of creeping in the edges there. There's, you know, talking about like this potential um, uh, a child abandonment, abandonment is addressed early on in that film. Social services are addressed. And so it goes some places that are that Disney film animated Disney films didn't hadn't really explored, but it does it lightly enough where it's still family friendly. The sci-fi stuff is even fun. It does the action I think better than a lot of the later attempts would, like the like or the contemporary attempts, like that same year's Treasure Treasure Planet. Um, I think it combines those two in a, in a light and comic way that it, it just it's a real feel good movie um, in a lot of ways. And so, yeah, I mean, I don't know how much time I have left, but... You're at five seconds. Four, <laughs> three, I pretty much summed it up. Two, one, time. So, All right, so now you need to make your argument. Okay. Or your rebuttal. Okay, so... argument, yes? Yep. Okay. Go, go. Um, so, Hunchback, there's a couple of issues, major issues with Hunchback's... The one, of course, is the most common, uh, pro- uh, commonly said problem in this movie. Those freaking gargoyles. They don't need to be there. They are just comic relief. They exist for one plot point. <laughs> but really, they're supposed to be like, oh, Quasimodo's conscious. Because Quasimodo, as most of the characters in the movie, are very, very serious. They're serious people. Sure, he has some fun, you know, skating on the rooftops and stuff. But really, the, the gargoyles are there to be the comic foil. And they don't need to be there. They're kind of tonally... They don't tonally fit to what else? What elsewhere is a very dark movie, like you were saying. It deals with these very, very heavy themes that I feel like, for the most part, being based on a classical work of French literature, probably go right over the kids' heads. It's barely a kids' movie. And yes... That could be viewed as a good thing, and it does a good job with the subject matter it's presenting. But as a kid's family movie, I'm sure there are a lot of parents back in 96 who took their kids to this. They're like, wait, what? What did we just watch? So tonally, it's a little dark for the kids. It's a little all over the map with gargoyles. It's not as consistent as the movies that led to it, like Beauty and the Beast, like Little Mermaid. Like Lion King. It's not the the tone, and they just tried so much more of a dramatic lean for it that I just don't think that it may hold up in other ways because of that. But I think that that keeps it from being, and I think kept it from being as popular as the other movies in that contemporary '90s canon. And I think that that's ultimately why I think a lot of people have a hard time saying it's one of their favorites. It's just an outlier. 
but not yeah. necessarily in a good way. Well, it's an outlier because people at first glance didn't quite grasp that it was supposed to be a Disney movie for kids, but that's what the way Disney intended it. It took on these heavy-handed things in uh, in uh, Hunchback of Notre Dame and made them kid-friendly by introducing the gargoyles, by introducing Dolly the goat, by introducing uh, the, name the, of the goat. Yeah, I, I know the name of the goat. <laughs> by introducing uh, the gestures and the gesture court. By simplifying it into its basic stance, uh, that these heavy-handed themes could be understood by kids and kids in by watching it as a Disney movie. Where your movie, however, falls apart in that yes, there are two different narratives in one being Stitch and one being Leo, and them being lost as a family, but it comes together in a sort of stitched together <laughs> type way where it's not a traditional family there is no essentially male characters in that movie to help support it I know, I know what you're going to say there <laughs> um, the, the essentially the only father figure in that is Dr. Jumba uh, who is the creator of um, Stitch who tries to even tries to get him back even shooting guns you brought guns into a Disney film. Like, <laughs> you cannot. You cannot have. You can't. You, that has not been seen. What? They they shoot at <laughs> Stitch. They blow up. They cause terror. Uh, they have to completely rewrite the third act because it was considered too violent and heavy handed. Um, Stitch. <laughs> the movie of Lilo and Stitch is is flawed narratively because. Lilo is such an outlier that you cannot sympathize with her. You sympathize with all the other girls who are normal, who are from traditional families. You're just sitting there laughing at you. Okay, I need to go down a list of things. This is the, the final statement part. Yeah, um, two minutes. Two minutes. Okay, so, so first of all, since when do we need a male character involved in a family dynamic? I'm sorry. I object to that. Second, there is a male character, the love interest for the older sister. Um, but there, do they fall in love? That's not necessarily the point of that movie, Mike. It's not about the romance. It's not about that kind of family. It's about their family dynamic between as sisters. Anyways, also... Guns have been in there. Bambi's mom is killed by a gun. Do you see the gun? By a no. No, but you... You don't see a gun. You no, know it's a gun. You don't see a gun. There are guns in several of Disney animated films before this. Don't lie. There's a gun in the... in a lot. In, uh, there's a lot of guns in Pocahontas, turns out. <laughs> I, I'm going to pause this for just one second to add that I'm almost certain that Gaston in Beauty and the Beast has a gun. gun. Yes. Continue. That's, okay, yes. That's also, <laughs> there's a lot of guns. That was BS. But are they necessary? I think that in the sci-fi setting of Stitches, part of the story, I think yes, it puts you into that space kind of space kind of feel. You know. Right, but but the goal was to capture Stitch, not to kill Stitch. Well, that's not necessarily true. Earlier on, well, that's not. We're getting off base here. What I was going to say, my original. You're not supposed to talk during this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what I was going to go 
You said that, that that Lilo is not the sympathetic character. I would argue that, yes, she is the most sympathetic character. You're supposed to be endeared by her quirks. You're not supposed to like the normal kids. You're supposed to be like, yeah, no, Lilo's the weird one, but she's cool. I like Lilo. She reminds me of, like, my children, say, if I had children. You know, it's supposed to yeah. be an endearing kind of quirkiness. And, yes, she's into some weird stuff, but so is Stitch, and that's why they get along. It's supposed to be weird. It's supposed it embraces the weirdness of that relationship. Time. Right. It might embrace yeah, but it doesn't embrace the weirdness as say Hunchback or Notre Dame, <laughs> where Hunchback where Quasimodo is considered weird <laughs> and an outcast and an outlier, and it and not accepted by society, even when it, he becomes introduced as the King of Fools and is revealed that. Hey, this is how he actually looks. He's not wearing a mask. What happens? He gets berated by the crowd. He gets thrown apart. And that's the part that's missing. That's how people actually act in real life. When they see someone like that. That, that makes quasi, that makes the story of Hunter Montre Dame more believable in that sense than, say, Lilo in Stitch. Because even though Lilo is considered an outlier, they still let her join the dance crew. They still let her be a part of society. They don't shun her like Quasimodo, which is a more believable type of story. It's not until Esmeralda comes and shows everyone that Quasimodo is good and a good heart and helps them in the court of gestures that... Gestures? That's what it's called. Yes, court of gestures. That they that only then does society welcome Quasimodo into their life. That that they turn on Judge Frollo. That they were able that because of Quasimodo and Captain Phoebus, they're able to rise up from the underground and take over essentially Notre Dame, the the cathedral, and take down take down uh, Judge Frollo. Because he's set to kill them. He's set to burn them at the stake, at the pyre. But there comes Quasimodo saying, <laughs> Sanctuary! Sanctuary! As he holds Esmeralda up over Notre Dame. Time. That took forever. <laughs> I, I used my two minutes for passion. Okay, so... So you got any last arguments? Fi- final statements. Yeah, just this... one minute, yes. Yeah, yeah, one minute for any final statements you want to make. Um, so I think the interesting thing here is we both kind of brought up some similar themes. Both these movies are have lead characters that are not necessarily what you would call traditionally normal. They're outliers in their societies. However, I think the approach that Lilo and Sish takes with it is that, no, they embrace weirdness. And I think that that's a good lesson to teach kids. Whereas I think the more heavy-handed, moralistic approach in Hunchback is more is kind of the old-fashioned, which makes sense because it was written originally on uh, the work original work that it's based on was written in the 1800s, and so it's a very kind of old-fashioned approach to it. It's like no, the old lady will will still fall in love with you. It doesn't matter what you look like. Whereas Lilo and Stitch is a more modern approach. It's like no, your family is still your family. Regardless of the friends that you make, regardless of the choices that you, the, the cho- choices that you make that could be potentially problematic to the earth, um, but yeah, I think it's a more fun movie. It's it's more it's 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 sillier. It's lighter. Time. It's funnier. 
Right, but Ten Factor Notre Dame, you don't have to have your own family. You can go out and you can create your own family. Quasimodo leaves his tower of gargoyles, which he essentially calls his family, to go find a new one in Esmeralda, in Captain Phoebus. He's able to explore the world, able to go out and go find things that are out there somewhere um, to to enjoy uh, enjoy his surroundings, enjoy the cathedral that he's called his home by exploring everything that's out there, um, by becoming a part of the Festival of Fools. By being accepted into society, he's able to look back on his home and and appreciate it more while embracing his new family. While, and, um, yeah, I'm just going to do it right there. Uh, yeah, you're pretty much at time. Where? Uh, out there. Okay, I, I just wanted you to say it one more time. <laughs> okay, so right, that was so, our final statement. So Mark, so Mark to make break down so what we said. I, I, am, I am evaluating this based on what? On on. What movie would basically qualify as the better option, correct? Well, well no, 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 no. You're supposed to, based on our arguments, you need to choose right. which Who? person argued the strongest for their movie. Okay. Yeah. So, basically, the gist that I got is that both of these movies have characters that are traditional, that in a traditional movie would not be outliers, but they're both outliers. Um, yeah, you might want to aim that. Yeah. Um, the I did like the argument for the gargoyles being useless. Um, <laughs> it it makes perfect sense, but also the the whole spacey and trying to combine it with a family aspect of Lilo and Stitch is also a very good argument because it seems much more out of the box than what Disney would traditionally do compared to Notre Dame. Um, so, it's tough to say because it's really close, and I would say that it's like a margin of like two points, but um, it's gonna go to Notre Dame. What? Really? <laughs> Notre Dame, okay. <laughs> Damn it, Mike! <laughs> That's okay. Well, I'm okay to see that move up. I'm sad to, that we have to say goodbye to Lilo, but. Yes. But. You guys wanted unbiased. Yeah, so. you're right. No, that's no, fair. No, no, that's no, what we want, wanted. Yeah. That's what we wanted. We wanted unbiased. All right. We can move on. All right. Moving on. Uh, we have Matt arguing for Mulan versus Hercules, which I shall be arguing for. I believe you did win this coin toss. So you get to go So I get first. to go first in Hercules. All right. Hercules. Yeah. All right. So Hercules, two minutes. Hercules for opening statements. Hercules. All right. Bless my soul. Herc is on a roll as Greek mythology comes roaring into Disney culture. <laughs> Matt is shutting away because I am passionate about this thing. All right. I know Hercules may have gotten a bad rap back in 1997, but hey. I love Greek mythology. I that's why I love Hercules. It takes so many different aspects of Greek mythology, which has so many different stories told across its way, uh, including that of Zeus overthrowing the Titans, including that of Hercules being born. It introduces multiple gods, and you can tell what the gods are by its stylistic choice and um, 
in its story of how they interact with each other. Hades is such an unbelievable character uh, type that, as playing the undead role by the great Ed Woods, James um, Woods, James Woods, Ed Woods, James Woods, <laughs> James Earl Jones, <laughs> that it's believable uh, that all this can and does happen. Um, Hercules does go through the traditional arc of a hero's journey by discovering who they are, who they are meant to be, and going and training and becoming a hero. Going from a zero to hero, just like that. It <laughs> <laughs> um, even, even uh, throws in a, a lot of fun, topical cultural references in uh, Air Jordans and uh, sneaker <laughs> deals and soda deals that a typical hero of that time would in fact uh, receive. He even goes through the, the uh, typical arc of falling in love with Megara and and not only fighting for her love but fighting for what it means to be a hero in dealing with not only big problems of saving a city but also your own personal problems of falling in love and what that actually means. Okay, so it's interesting that I'm doing Mulan here because hearing your description, the movies are actually more similar than I thought they were. So in both films, so Mulan also is a story about a, a hero, uh, but and it's an unlikely hero. Heroine. Uh, so, of course, young Mulan is, of course, snuck in to the, to the army as female soldiers are not a thing yet. But because she wants to keep her father uh, from, well, you know, kicking the bucket... She decides to fight instead of him. And so she joins the ranks to defeat the Huns. So just like Hercules, she goes through a hero's journey where she trains with her sexy captain and meets some bumbling fellow soldiers and hijinks ensue and they sing some rousing melodies until they must finally outsmart the, the, the hordes of the Huns, which she is able to do single-handedly by being the smartest one of the bunch. She rises to the top in a, in a supreme way that the other soldiers cannot quite match, outsmarting the Huns by even causing a damn avalanche to destroy all of them, or so she thinks. Of course, she also fights off the leader, of, uh, leader uh, by herself across the rooftops of China, which is also a thrilling scene. There's even some tender stuff in the beginning with her family. There's a love story with her and her captain. There's, it's a sweeping epic movie uh, with a lot going on, with, ultimate, with a lesson of that this woman can do whatever she wants. Real empowering tale um, where she defi defies the odds of sexism to reign over the Huns and get rewarded at the end. And even with a with a nice captain to hang out with. And you're out of time in about four, three, two, one. <laughs> All right, argument. Okay, so Hercules. Hercules is a weird, like, whiplash moment for the studio because I feel like they didn't really know what to do with it. The Greek mythology stuff is great as a basis for your story, but they didn't commit to making it a dramatic story. And so what they ended up kind of do is more of a comic-tinged thing. 
So that permeates every kind of realm of the movie, but mostly in the narrative, where you have the character of Hades, who's arguably the leader, well, the leader of the dark world, and yet he's basically a cop, a comedic character, making one-liners throughout that whole thing. Hercules himself is kind of weirdly comic, and then you have, like, half the characters in this movie aren't playing straight. And it's a, it's, it's a comedy in a weird way, it, it, which, is, which, again, kind of makes it an outlier in the Disney canon. I don't think that they, they, the journey is as strong as the one in Mulan. I think, I, I think that you have, um, and the training stuff, yes, you get the training montage in both movies. I prefer the Mulan training montage. And so I mean, I think that that uh, I'm not as interested in the world of Hercules. I'm not as interested in Hercules as a character. I don't think he's that interesting. The most interesting character in that movie is Meg, and I think that her moments are the best and strongest. But also, she they, the movie pretty much just kind of throws her away towards the climax, and doesn't really. I mean, she has some sort of choice, but it's not as strong as what they do with Mulan course at the end of Mulan I think that it's a weird comparison I think that just the setting of the movies make makes the 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 narrative kind of go into two different directions but overall I think just Mulan has the stronger through line uh for its lead character I think Hercules he's already like a demigod like what else are you gonna do with that character done (laughs) what else you do with the character exactly what they did and make him mortal and make him fight against mortal uh mortal sins and mortal problems like falling in love um the movie is called hercules not megara okay it's gonna focus on hercules not not the love interest in meg all right just like your movie doesn't focus on the captain all right it's not called captain chin it's called bulan yeah all right they're gonna focus on their main character so you can't fault that for that for focusing on on what it's trying to do and Hercules, I argue, does it better because it does tell classic Greek mythology in a hero's journey, which every hero's uh, journey tale begins with and the steps that it follows. If you want a more serious one, I'll, I suggest going watch Dwayne The Rock Johnson in Hercules. <laughs> Alright? That's more serious. This is a Disney movie. It's supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be lighthearted. It's supposed to be for the kids. That's why there's jokes in it, okay? With Flash. <laughs> It's supposed to be, it's not meant for a strong, heavy-handed adult audience. It's meant for kids. It even does take in heavy themes like that of death in, in Hades and the underworld. And even that of a religious theme in there being Mount Olympus. And that itself is says something for Disney. Even trying to even suggest religious, religious themes in a Disney movie. Um... That it goes that way because this was before Hunchback uh, of Notre Dame and its religious themes that it went through. Uh, so I'd say that Hercules is the the more important movie in showing that Disney can handle these these heavy-handed tropes in a very kid-friendly environment. Um, even with, like you said, Megara, who is essentially a strong character, sometimes less is Bye. more. Uh, first thing I want to point out, chronological mistake, uh, Hercules is the year after is it? The Notre Dame. Year. And oh, I think that that's key because of the, the polar nature of the two films' tones. I think that they rebounded, they wanted to very much to rebound from the sour, the dourness 
of Hunchback and replace it with kind of a with lighter fare. But I'm not saying necessarily that I don't enjoy the lighter fare of Hercules. I'm saying that it could have been just a tad less comic in its tone. But Mulan is interesting because I think it balances comic and seriousness in it a lot with a dexter hand. You have the comic relief characters of the fellow soldiers, you know, the bumbling guys. But, and you do have the Mushu the dragon there, too, and the cricket. But they're not, they don't overpower the serious themes. There's still a war going on. There's still a grave danger that Mulan faces against the Huns. This one minute or two. Sorry. This is two. This is two. And, and I think, and, and, there, and this, I mean, she's even going through kind of a, of a self-crisis herself, like an identity crisis there. And there's a whole song, we're going to talk about music later, but it's still narrative. Uh, there's a song where she's basically fighting with herself about who she needs to be, who she's supposed to be, who her, her ancestors will see her, what is her legacy. Hercules has a similar theme going on. It does. But, again, because of the way that these are different cultures, kind of mythology, um, you, have, you have it go in two different, two, two different directions. And I think Mulan's story is more, is, is more grounded. I think the, the Hercules story, like I said, if you start from Demigod... All you can really do is you go to mortal, and I think that they kind of, and yes, it's just a problem with Greek mythology is that there's not really for too much further you can take that concept than like, well, he's super powerful. How do we make him interesting? Well, you take his powers away. It's the Superman problem, and that's I think one of the problems I have with Hercules as a myth, like as a myth. Well, Hercules is mythology. I know. First four letters, myth. Okay, <laughs> myth. you're arguing the fact that it exists because it is what it is. Yeah. All right. Mulan isn't what it is. Okay. The actual story of Mulan is that she falls over the cliff and they don't find out that she's a woman. All right. That's the real story of Mulan. That's where it ends. All right. The fact that they ditched that in order to give it a happy ending is Disneyfying a myth. All right. Hercules didn't have to do that. Okay. Hercules was already Disneyfied in itself in being be going through uh, the like you said the the training montages going through the self identification and going through and essentially getting its own happy ending on its own in Hercules becoming a demigod a a Greek god of sorts because at the end of the movie he does stay on Earth as a demigod with Meg because love conquers all. A true theme that runs through um, all of Hercules. Love conquers all in Milan only happens about two thirds, about a th- the last third of the movie, which was shoehorned in because it was a Disney movie. Um, falling in love with Captain Chen was very unnecessary. Let's let's be honest, it was very unnecessary. The fact that you're saying Mulan outsmarted everyone. Kind of says that all men in China were considered dumb, as as she was the only one to uh, defeat to defeat the Huns with the avalanche, with climbing, with climbing up the pillar, with uh, taking with sword fighting Shen at or Shan Yu at the very end. All right, you're you're arguing against yourself in this by 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 building up Mulan. Uh, okay. Right, last minute. Last minute. Uh, stop. So no, no, I'm not. Uh, I think that's the point. 
Not necessarily. It's not saying that the other guys in the, the army are dumb. That's not what it's saying. They're, they're saying they're meatheads. I mean, a couple of them are kind of meatheads. Yes, you're right. But it's saying that Mulan is that diligent in her training. She is that impressive. She can conquer. It's supposed to be an empowering tale about her, about what she can overcome. She's not perfect, though. I mean, she's struggling with who she needs to be, with who she wants to be. And that's the crux of the movie. It's her overcoming these things or her growing into the warrior, the person who she is meant to be. Anyways, where what I kind of want to do to kind of sum this all up is kind of go back to what I was talking about last time. They're both stories about heroes and a hero's journey. Both do follow the hero's journey tropes. The difference is in one, you're already starting with a character who is powered. Your, your character is super, super strong. Your character is, your character's arc Time. thus can only go one way. Yes, but Hercules is able to go both ways. Yeah. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> yes, good, good joke there. <laughs> Where Hercules is able to go forward as a more as what's considered he considered himself immortal to that of God status and back to mortal, and back to God. He does ping pong back and forth, whereas. Which makes a more interesting story as you see him handle the conflict of both being a god and being a mortal. Whereas Mulan only has one arc and that's it. It's just one single journey. Whereas you have multiple journeys with Hercules, which makes for more complex of a character in in dealing with these um, these two halves that he has to coincide with. And then throw in the fact that you have Megara, who herself is is a strong female presence in that movie, on her own. Who? Time. Okay. Right. Hey. <laughs> who falls in love All with right. the hero? All right, Mark. <coughs> uh, All right. Good arguments on both sides. Um, the one thing that did catch my eye was that Matt's reference of Hercules being a Greek mythology type of movie but it was very comedic <laughs> um, which is very true but you also uh, argued about how in Mulan it was a very uh, how would you put it a very one packed one, one arc one, one, yeah, one, one arc one packed uh, uh, a movie um, but based on descriptions of the characters and kind of character growth, I'd have to say that in this instance, Mulan takes the win. Woo! <laughs> you were so excited! I was so close! <laughs> you did a good job. I was so close on that. You did a good job. You did a good job. Each of these is like, it's really hard. close. They're close. Yeah, you they're very you simple. missed the really hard one, which is the, la the, the last, last night. Because we were basically going, I was defending fairy tales and he was defending modern modern movies. Yeah. Imagine trying to defend Tangled against Wreck-It Ralph. That was the task I had to do. You failed though. So he so he, <laughs> he owned me because because there's no way to compare those two things. They're so different. Right. Right, but I think it just looking at what we have going on today. This is a little closer. 
These are these all four these of these are, really are considered close, very, yeah, yeah because they both have very all four have because very we're similar in narratives. the same yeah. range now year wise where they were doing kind of the same thing. All right, I mean uh, even including our next route, okay. route where we have Pocahontas, my my hat versus Tarzan. These are very similar than you think. <laughs> well, yes and no. <laughs> yes and no. Uh, wait, so I won this one, which means uh, go you go first. <gasps> so I chose Tarzan. And I chose Pocahontas, so I'll go. Well, you didn't choose Pocahontas. You were given Pocahontas. Pocahontas. I would have chosen it anyway, so that works. Okay. Whenever you're ready. So Pocahontas has the tough task of being based on a real thing. It's not mythology this time. Pocahontas is a real person. I mean, not too dissimilar from Mulan, but but a more well-known person in American history, or Native American history. It also has the tough task of being a story about Native America, which is really, really hard to do. In a modern in a modern way gently i think that they succeed in a lot of ways with pocahontas i think that the character of pocahontas is a strong well thought out character she uses the wisdom of her friends her her the, the wind her her family to choose the right path for her to go to which she's not really sure about unlike uh, similar to Mulan, she's not 100 percent sure what the kind of person she wants to be there's, she she wants she wants more than just hanging out, by uh, in the village all day doing village work. She wants to know there's something out there for her to do, but she's not quite sure what it is. And of course, the uh, incoming white men from overseas is it turns out to be her answer with John Smith, who she randomly meets in the middle of the Glen. Um, their relationship, of course, starts off rocky as she basically has to show him the ropes. It's like this is our culture. This is what who we are. Don't disrespect us like the rest of your, of your people. Don't come to destroy us. We don't even have the gold that you think that we want. We can coexist, and let me teach you about how to coexist with nature and coexist as people. And she succeeds. By the end of that movie, John Smith is taken with her in both a romantic way and in a moral way. He realizes she is able to show him that being one with nature is more important than any riches that they could be looking for. And ultimately, that's what saves the day. It unites both the Native American tribe as well as the, the, as the, uh, the immigrants. Everybody ends up finding the oneness with nature and with itself, I... except for the bad guy. <laughs> Everything you just said, replace Pocahontas with Tarzan, you get the exact same <laughs> movie, okay? Essentially, yes. All right. You have uh, taken from a book, Edward Rice Burroughs' uh, novels of Tarzan, The Adventures of Tarzan, and that's basically everything you just said happened in Tarzan. <laughs> but better. <laughs> Alright? You have, you have starting off with a baby of Tarzan, being taken in by apes, being taken in by nature, being cultured and nurtured, and learning from nature, learning how to be as fast as a jaguar, being, being as quick as a snake, being as loud and as powerful as an elephant and he makes friends with everyone in the jungle even though he lives with the dominant pack of the gorillas he is able to he's able to learn and then when he meets people like him he wants to understand he wants to know about these creatures like him he wants them to tell him more wants to show them and he does. He learns about these creatures, about 
about Clayton, about Jane, about the professor, and Mary Marianne. <laughs> and the stupor too. Um, he's able. He's able to take both his knowledge of the jungle and of human of uh, human interaction, and and learn and become one with not only the brief society that he gives them, but able to show society what the jungle can offer and how to be respectful of the jungle and how the jungle, even though it may not have the firearm to firepower of man, that it can still overpower uh, them in the final battle. Uh, arguments. And now you get to, and now I get to argument. Guilt. Yes. All right. Pocahontas is supposed to be 14 years old. She falls in love with a grown man. <laughs> that is not right. Okay? John Smith basically voodoo magics his way into Pocahontas' heart by showing him trinkets and gadgets like that of a compass in order to gain her trust. He does it manipulatively. He manipulates Pocahontas into a love arc. He, bef- he befriends her friends from food, from the biscuits. He gives Miko biscuits and and confronts Grandmother Willow. And he tricks, him, he tricks his way into gaining her trust. He doesn't... He doesn't... He goes so far into his trickery that... That he... Uh, even when he's captured by Pocahontas and their people, that... That he, that he essentially leads, what? he essentially okay. leads them to an all-out war between the two because he got captured, because he sent Christian Bale back to society. <laughs> yes, that character was played by Christian Bale. Uh, back to society to go get help. He, he essentially starts the war that, that ends up killing, well, yeah, killing him. Kill, killing the chief. Wait, who gets killed in that movie? <laughs> Keep going. Essentially, bring these two conflicts <laughs> to a head. All right. He is a selfish person in that movie. That the fact that he's able to woo Pocahontas shows that she is not as strong as she tends to be. Time. She's very open with this stranger. Okay. Um. So. I'm not going to rebut what you just said because I have to do my argument first. Uh, but you were really wrong in a lot of those. I'll get to that later. First, I need to talk about your movie. So, Tarzan is a weird movie for me. Um, I don't get what it's trying to do. It seems like a lot of it is trying to tell a similar story to uh, Pocahontas. One of, here's someone that doesn't quite belong. A fish out of water story, if you will. Uh, about the, the human being raised by animals. But what loses me is almost as if they were trying to do Pocahontas by way of The Lion King, where it's also a story about growing up. It's also a story about, about this, this hunter character. It's also a story about the, the love story with Jane. It's, it, there's a lot of threads in this thing that, it, that it's a little convoluted. There are other reasons why that I really don't like this movie, but we can't go there now. So if I'm just, just going to go to the narrative stuff, 
that's probably my main problem is just consistency with its tone also i don't know if you remember how clayton the hunter dies in that movie but it's messed up he gets hanged it's freaking messed up well he gets hanged by the vines it's off camera and they do it interestingly enough where you don't really see what's going on but it's still freaking dark for what that thing is for the, for a movie where a a gorilla is voiced by Rosie O'Donnell, that's a weird place for that movie to go. Um, it's it's a it's a, it's a strange strange thing. I just felt I just always remember that thing as being kind of all over the place, even when I saw it at age nine. You know, it's just I, I never it never really settled well with me. Um, the story that it was trying Bye. to tell. All right, so uh, closing statements then. Okay. So, uh, uh, I, I go yeah, first. Yeah. Let's see. Let's see. All right. So, yes, but you're talking about one aspect of the movie in the ending, which shows that the jungle takes over man. Um, there's more to that movie. There's a lot more. There's, there's the whole scene of Tarzan growing up, of Tarzan befriending the apes who... When, when she was initially an outcast, being two worlds of a family, <laughs> that he trusts his heart and had faith inside to, to guide the light that he sees. We're not in the music round. I'm not in the music round. I'm talking about the music. I'm talking about the, the movie. Uh, they're um, coming to get you. <laughs> they're coming to get me. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's even able to show Jane, um, Tarzan and Jane. Tarzan is able to show Jane the the world of the world of the jungle. That he's able to to learn to trust, to bring her her into his society and him into her uh, society, which Pocahontas fails. Oh no, this is two minutes. Two minutes. Two minutes. Where Pocahontas fails because it was only John Pocahontas bringing John Smith into her society. There was no other way. John Smith never brought Pocahontas to the village. He never. That's Pocahontas 2, Journey to the New World. We're not talking about that. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and that wasn't him. That was John Rolfe. <laughs> Who she ends up marrying, by the way, in the actual life. John Rolfe, not John Smith. So the love story of Pocahontas and John Smith is fact in real, is false in real life. They never get married. Just like they never get married. They never fall in love. They're not, they never fall in love in real life. They never fall in love, supposed to fall in love in the movie. That's Disney-fying. And Pocahontas never learns anything from John Smith. John Smith does all the learning. <laughs> Pocahontas doesn't... She is... And, and will also... <laughs> doesn't and will also... Doesn't and will also. Okay. <laughs> okay, um, so... To respond to a bunch of falsehoods <laughs> that you said earlier about about the movie. Do you have time? <laughs> no, I don't. Uh, so I'm just going to, I guess, ignore that. Um, and I have to defend this from, I guess, what you just said. So so the reason why Pocahontas doesn't have anything to learn from John Smith is because John Smith's society is the one that's kind of a little behind the times. Also, she's too busy learning about herself and discovering what she's meant to do. And that is teaching the, these newcomers basically to, to, to not rely on their greed to keep living. She finds a message in the oneness of nature. 
and she's able to essentially stop an entire war, what could have gotten bloodier by the second if it had kept going, by being herself and telling uh, telling and telling John Smith of the wonders of her world, of her culture. And I think that, yes, there's some problematic things about this story. I am not here to talk about those things. There are some differences about the real thing and what's being portrayed in the movie. But that's not what this movie is about. This movie is about using the culture of Pocahontas, talking about a culture that is ignored in most of Hollywood's films. Something that is not a traditional setting or story that more stories need to be told about. About Native American culture. And about the, the, the part and the, the parts of the of of nature that we take for granted. And talking about how greed will just lead us down to violence. Okay. Alright. Last minute last minute thoughts? Alright, last minute uh, yeah, thoughts? Yeah. Alright. Um Anything else I want to say? Yeah, there was something I wanted to say. Was oh yeah, that's what I want to say. Um, Tarzan does a lot more in his movie than Pocahontas does. Pocahontas, while she does her own self-journey, so does Tarzan, but in a more active role. Tarzan doesn't just go to a tree and talk to it, basically talking to himself. Tarzan interacts with society. He interacts with his father, his Kerchak and, and Kala, the, the, his gorilla parents. He interacts <laughs> with, with, yeah, with Jane and Clayton. Even though Clayton's a bad guy and he has strong feelings that he is, he still interacts with them in order to understand in order to learn, in order to grow. And that's what makes Tarzan the better movie because Tarzan, as the main character, expands and grows and you see his journey. And he doesn't go back into society at the very end. He stays in the jungle. He's able to convince Jane and her father to stay in the jungle. And even Clayton stays in the jungle for that matter. Um, So I'm going to talk about, similar to what you're going to talk about, how they are... Very similar in structure, but the way the approach is very different. But I'm going to make the opposite argument. I think that the the the, the approach with Pocahontas is more makes more sense and is more touching tale. I think you lose track of things that all the threads that are going on in Tarzan. In Pocahontas, what you have is a more grounded approach um, to that kind of narrative. And I think Pocahontas is a very active character. I don't think she's very passive, especially compared to Disney princesses before her. She is the one teaching John Smith the whole time about her culture. She's the one who, she seeks advice from her friends, and she seeks advice from the spirit tree, which is not just talking to herself, that is actually a spirit, because in her culture, they believe that the spirits take place in objects such as trees. And so it makes sense in her culture why she would talk to talk to the wise willow. Alright. Alright, Mark. You got uh, the fun job. You got the fun job deciphering all that. Uh, I have the mic again. All right. Um, <laughs> um, good arguments on both parts. Uh, I'll they take you. are I'll take you. they are very similar storylines because they both have characters that are very intertwined with 
nature and some sort of outside force that comes in and kind of messes with the balance. Um, I think that Mike made a very good argument in that John Smith is pretty much in his 30s and Pocahontas is like 40. <laughs> Not in a movie, she's, a, she's actually like 17, to be fair. Okay, 30 and 17 still. And no 30 and 17. Not, he is. <laughs> Not important. <laughs> Don't get distracted by that. The, the fact of the matter is, is that both Tarzan and um, Pocahontas have very similar... Yeah, Pocahontas. <laughs> have very similar journeys. Um, Pocahontas has one of more of finding herself. Tarzan kind of goes along the same path, but he's more along discovering um, what humanity is about versus Pocahontas is discovering more of what nature and spirituality is about. Um, so in that sense, they're very different. Um, Tarzan is a little darker. Uh, I will give it that, just because you did reference the whole, you know, um, what's his name, pretty much getting hanged. I mean, it was Clayton. pretty much, it was pretty much implied, um, and it, it does tend to be a little more violent, which is a little off-putting for a Disney movie. Um, but based on the argument, I would have to say that Pocahontas takes this one. Boo! Finger guns! No! <laughs> 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 no! Tarzan and Hercules eliminated! No. My work here is done. It was really close. <laughs> no! It was really close. <laughs> My work here is done. I am happy with the rest of this bracket. No! <laughs> now you're about to Phil Collins. <laughs> Damn! Yes, I saved myself from Phil Collins. Bonus brownie points for dropping into your argument. He did that last time, too. I did that last, other than the Hercules one, too. <laughs> because the tough part about this is we want so badly to talk about the music, but we can't. But, I, but I'm able to circumvent that because the music helps push the story forward. Yes, I'm just trying to avoid that. I know you are. <laughs> because I think that that's a cheap trick. Okay, before we start, though, I need to respond to the text. Alright, well, that's okay, because we need to build up our next... Yes, we need to build up our next uh, bout, which is our title fight. Title fight. Round ding, one. Yes, yeah, we have our uh, number eight seed mm -hmm. in the Emperor's New Groove. Yeah. Uh, being out such tough competition for the eight seed as Atlantis and Treasure Planet, and of course, Brother Bear. You're right, yes, because yeah, yeah, screw those the, movies. Those are all tough, tough because competitions. Because screw those movies. <laughs> So when Mark is ready, we will yes. begin. Yes, we'll begin. So wait, oh, it's going forward with, uh, first with this one? And... Uh, I will be uh, going first. Yes. Uh, no, you'll be no, going first. I'll be going first. Uh, for Emperor's, Emperor's New, New Groove. As I won this uh, high card game. Yes. And I went with our number one seed. The Lion King. The Lion King. <laughs> yes. Which I hope to knock out. Ding, ding. You really <laughs> my third on my hit list. Yes. Who has uh, got a hit Emperor's, New, Emperor's New, Groove? New Groove and he's got uh, Lion, Lion King. King. Oh, this is going to be tough. You would think, but they're very similar. We'll see. All right, well, who's going first? They once were more similar than they ended up being. I know. Okay, I'm going first. Yes. All right. Okay, so Emperor's New Groove. So, remember what I talked about derogatorily towards Hercules, but I said it was too comic. So, Emperor's New Groove is them embracing comedy, but it works this time because unlike being based on Greek mythology, they have a lot more to work with here. So, Emperor's New Groove is loosely based on, I guess, some Incan mythology, 
vaguely, the emperor, uh, who is kind of a jerk, um, gets uh, gets his, I guess, uh, karma uh, when he's transformed into a llama. Of course, this film takes advantage of that in a comic way instead of the dark way that probably the original mythology probably takes. So what you have here is essentially a classic buddy comedy because the llama version of the Emperor Cusco happens to be matched with the kindest guy on his local hill, who, of course, he had threatened in the beginning of the movie to build a summer house on his house. So needless to say, though, he's such a nice guy that, yes, he wants him to not build that summer house, but he still sees the good in Cusco's heart. And so as the two go on their, their journey to get, basically get Cusco back to the, back to the uh, throne, which has been usurped from him by the villainess, villainess and, his, and her dumb sidekick, Patrick Warburton, um, <laughs> and, and to get back and become human again. Um, but all along the way, of course, they learn from each other. And I think this is done surprisingly well. Along the way, though, it's not they don't just kind of just take you through the, just the usual steps of oh, let's have the nice guy teach the bad guy to like to to like be nice to be nicer, and let's teach the nice guy to stand up for himself. They do that, but at the same time of having these fantastic comedic set pieces that are almost like we like suddenly we're in an alternate universe where in the year two thousand Warner Brothers was still making cartoons. It's that quality of comic set pieces this like farcical stuff of, and it, it works okay alright you're up Lion King alright so Lion King is a Shakespearean play being told to kids with cats <laughs> with big cats summed big, it up big, yep that's basically that summed up a uh, little Lion King you have the journey of Simba, who has been, been befallen by the death of his father, the great James Earl Jones. <laughs> and is, and is, based, is essentially run out of his own kingdom by, by, by Jeremy Irons. There you go. Not Ron Jeremy. Ron Jeremy. Iron Jeremy. <laughs> oh, wow. Jeremy Irons. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and he's asked to grow up with what 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 is essentially two male parents in Timon and Pumbaa, which is progressive for the Lion King. Um, he comes back and he's able to on an all vegan diet take down Scar. <laughs> uh, all right. In all seriousness, the Lion King. Now that I got all that, those chuckles, I like. In all seriousness, The Lion King is a great story. It is all is a hero's journey tied with finding yourself, tied in with that of political power, um, and 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 everything, and basically House of Cards like what it takes to to surmount yourself to the throne. Um, it has a great number, um, a great number of aspects in. In Jeremy Irons and Scar, leading up the hyenas, it has a great uh, in in Simba leading up the lionesses coming back. In you, you have so many great characters and memorable characters in in Zazu, in Nala, in Timon and Pumbaa, in uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, in yeah, it's great. Okay, All now right. your argument against. All right, so. 
Um, the Emperor's new groove is riddlesome from the beginning. Riddlesome. Riddlesome. Make it up words. As, as you're supposed to like or essentially root for the main character, who is a dick, played by David Spade. <laughs> Spitting he, Yes. <laughs> he literally kicks out an old man because he bumps into him. He summons the John. He summons John Goodman to basically tell him to his face, "I'm gonna tear up your village." He is such a despicable character, who doesn't even seem to be redeemed by the end of the movie. He doesn't a little bit of the fact that he befriends John Goodman, but let's be honest, John Goodman could be played by anyone. And John Goodman can be played by anyone? Yes, John Goodman's character, Pacha, could have been played by anyone. And they forced that narrative into them working together. Into them, into him basically finding a friend amongst the kingdom. Because he has such a, a good and big heart. But that being said, he initially surrounds himself with evil, with Yzma, with Kronk, with... All these yes men that you can't help but to hate him. And it's not till literally the end of the movie that you maybe find an inkling that he could have some type of decency in him. I say that because he doesn't. He still ends up building his his water house. He still ends up being his, his summer home water house slide. Uh, <laughs> summer home complete with water slide. He still ends up building this idol to himself. He still ends up thinking. He essentially doesn't... The only thing he changes is his location. He doesn't change his stance on anything. He's still the same rude person that he was at the beginning. Okay, before I get to all that. Uh, so, so... I'm still thinking about getting out, kicked out of your place by Ron Jeremy. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't, I couldn't help it. Just wonder. I was like, ah, Ron Jeremy. That, that would be very interesting. That'd be a weird movie. I, okay, I, losing time. I'm um, sure that, what, what's, what's the rule? Rule 37? <laughs> I'm sure that they're... 34. 34. 34. I'm losing time! Guys, shut up! No, this is a creative Oh, okay, good. Yeah, 35. But if it doesn't exist, someone will there will create it for you. <laughs> Lion King. Okay, right. so... The problem with Lion King is, and I can sum this up pretty, like, just how you started. This is Shakespearean tale. This is Hamlet. Are your kid? let me ask you a question. Are your hypothetical kids old enough to understand Hamlet? Because maybe you should, maybe you're, you're going to have to have a long talk after the Lion King's over. I don't know a single person, like, okay, I'm exaggerating. I know a lot of people that are my age or around my age that are still kind of scarred by Mufasa's death scene. It's kind of messed up in a different way that Clayton's death in Tarzan is messed up. Sure, it affects more pe other people more than others, but still, it's still kind of dark. There's a lot of dark stuff going on. They go to an elephant graveyard, surrounded by elephant bones. There's some messed up stuff happening in the Lion King. Also, it's, it has a similar problem to Tarzan, where it's trying to be a lot of things to a lot of people. I think emblematic of this is especially Timon and Pumbaa. They are so totally out of place for that movie. And I get that it's supposed to be the anti-lesson, which is a trick that Disney uses a few times. In fact, you could argue it's the same way in the opening of Emperor's New Groove. That is, in its own way, an anti-lesson. The Hukuna Matata stuff is, you're is, ironically, the most popular movie from that film, is what exactly Simba learns to not do. 
basically through the, during the climax of that movie. He learns that, no, it's not about no worries. He has to do what he has to do. So why is that even there? Why is that telling the audience, look how much fun you're having when you don't care, when ultimately the audience realizes, oh, wait, no, that's, that's totally wrong. Who else is going to save everybody from Scar? So it's, it, it has a crucial flaw, which is basically distracting you through most of Act 2 from what's going on. And when they show, show what's going on over with Scar and company, it's super dour. It's gross. It's kind of the worst parts of that movie. Like, none of the really characters really own up to anything. Simba has to do everything for everybody. Nala is the most redeemable character in that movie because she goes, saves Simba from being nothing, being a bump on a log. And also, it's not a vegan diet. Those bugs are, are bugs. Don't, that doesn't count as vegan. I don't think bugs are vegan. Last time I checked. song from the lion king i anticipate being head lion <laughs> yes. um anyway um, so so yeah so yes it, there is a lot more serious stuff going on going down in lion kingville you're right it's a more dramatic story but i think the lesson learned is you have to slog through so much of that seriousness and so much of that darkness to get there to get to the happy moments. And then when there are happy moments, it's real weird. Whereas Emperor's New Groove maintains a light, fun atmosphere through its entirety, while also not being a musical, and also 
but also addressing the actual message and getting the message across. It shows that, yes, you can write a comedy and still kind of have the message be clear and still write the movie that you want to write. It's interesting that you brought up that Cusco, yes, is not shown in a very positive light. It is. It breaks a lot of screenwriting rules that basically you're taught. It's the anti-save the cat when he does the thing kicking the old guy out. But it's too that much focus on how large his arc is to the end of that movie. It's to show John Goodman's character how good uh, he was at influencing Cusco to be a better man. And yes, the end is a little is not super clear, but what my takeaway of the end is is that he seems like a redeemable guy. That I think that in order to make that clearer, they show that brief scene right before his discussion with John Goodman about the about where he really where that he doesn't want to use his hill for the house anymore. They have he has him basically making up with the old man. Basically saying like, "No, nah, sorry. I was I was a jerk before. Here, I'll help you out." So, thus, character redeemed, arc complete, Kuzco has redeemed himself, and you didn't have to sit through a bunch of bones Fine. and fire. <laughs> final statements. Alright, final statements. This is the one. This is the one. Well, you said final statements last time. That's why I got <laughs> oh, that's you, final you, you did not I say both the final time. arguments. <laughs> Alright, so this is final statements, one minute. Alright. You're trying to come. So Matt, you're trying to compare well, essentially a one-note character all the way through to the complex character of Simba, of, <laughs> of, of of growing up, of knowing what it's like to be a kid, to want everything, and then growing up and learning that life's not all humble dory. I get everything that I humble want, dory. like like Cusco. Humble dory, yes, the yes. sequel to Finding Dory. You you have. You have him growing up and learning and coming back and uh, surmounting the throne, surmounting his uncle. Yes, it is a family struggle. It is a family value that he has learned that that his uncle was not right, that his uncle lied to him, that that he that he didn't kill his father, that it was Scar who did it, that he forces a confession out of them, that he has become head lion and essentially the Lion King. Yeah. Uh, so yes, um, there are very different movies totally, and so yes, the kind of character in your movie is going to go through a lot more crap because it's that kind of story. Character in Emperor's New Groove, however, is a, of a comic nature, and so it's a simpler narrative. I don't think that simpler is bad in this case, or in most cases for film. I think that the way, as I mentioned in the last argument, that the way that it says it, it gets its message across and its story across while still maintaining a light theme and a fun atmosphere, I think is more impressive than with what I mentioned about The Lion King, which is it tries to be too many things to too many people. You try to win over the kids with I just can't wait to be king and the Timon and Pumbaa stuff. You try to win over the adults with the darker themes with the Hamlet references. You can't have both in a lot of cases at the end of the day because the kids are sleeping through half of it and the parents don't care about the soundtrack. You can't... I'm, it, yeah. Are you really sleeping through the soundtrack, Matt? Wink. <laughs> <laughs> Arguments are over. I, I, that wasn't an argument. That was a question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Alright, Mark. We're done, we're done <laughs> arguing so I can be like, nah, yeah, it's fine. Yeah. Lion King's fine. I don't hate it. 
<laughs> Just don't like it like everybody else. Um, good points on both parts. Emperor's new groove, yes. The the character does have some sort of growth, but he's still a dick, like Mike <laughs> said. Um, it's David Spade. And David Spade. <laughs> David, David Spade. Spade. Um, but, you know, I personally... <laughs> Mike Mike's basically has a self-inflicted gunshot wound from this one because I couldn't stop thinking about Ron, <laughs> Ron, Jeremy. <laughs> Ron Jeremy and Irons. Jeremy Irons. Hey, in the, the live-action version, is Scar going to be Ron Jeremy? I mean, he is hairy. He's hairy. Maybe <laughs> vote exclusive. Ron Jeremy. Ron Jeremy is Jeremy Scar. Irons. Uh, oh, man. No, but... I'm sure he has plenty of scars already. In the, in the arguments against Lion King, it does try to kind of do too much, whereas in the Emperor's Groove, you do kind of have just this um, continuous comedic type of line versus this whole like emotional roller coaster of the Lion King. Um, yes, exactly. But overall, Lion King takes it. Yeah. Because. Because. Because, because of that emotional roller coaster, yeah. um, it does. It makes you feel, you know, sad and happy, and, and kind of this 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 ending of um, an overall triumph. So it's it's a it's a good movie overall. Not to say the Emperor's Groove isn't. It's just, it's just a different kind. It's a thing. different thing. Yeah. That yeah. That that was a hard hard one to yes. do because they're so different. Yes. But yes. Though they, they, they start off in two completely different places too. Right. This makes sense. Obviously, it would have been kind of weird if if the number one seed did not proceed. So. Hey, it happens in the NCAA tournament. It happens. It does. It does so, happen. So yeah. But yeah, that being said, so, um, moves on. In a. Twisted turn of, of events, actually. <laughs> the top four seats actually progress. Yeah. Uh, we have Hunchback no at four, Mulan at three, Pocahontas at two, and still your number one seed, yep. the Lion King, all moving on to the next round. Do we want to recap the, the first section, too? Uh, yeah, recap in the first section. Where, this is where we're at now. So, uh, in addition to those four, we also have Zootopia, Wreck-It Ralph, Frozen, and Moana. All won their respective battles and are moving on. Yep. All right, and uh, seeing as that round, we have Moana versus Utopia and Frozen versus Wreck-It Ralph. And uh, this this one round we just did, we will be having the Lion King soundtrack versus the soundtrack of Hunchback versus Notre Dame. Ooh, and the tougher than you think. And the soundtrack of Pocahontas versus the soundtrack of Mulan. Tougher than you think. It's tougher than Those you think. Those are going to be tough. Those are good arguments, That's and really we will uh, see that in our second round. Okay. However, in our next round, uh, you could our next round, which would be the Renaissancean ish well, uh, era, late, it's basically it's seventies through early nineties. Yes, uh, that will be our next round, which you can listen to uh, up in the upcoming days, or if it's already up, you can listen to it right now. <laughs>